Well, I'm excited to be with you this morning. The sermon is called Relentless Devotion. And I want to start by letting you know about a book I recently just read. It's called The Boys in the Boat. It was a book recommended to me by another pastor. And in 1936, nine Americans from the University of Washington, from the rowing crew, shocked the world by winning gold in the 1936 Berlin Olympics. This is going to be very hard since I am Spanish and I speak Spanish. But thank you, Jeremy. I don't know what I'm going to do with this. Okay, are we still on? We'll keep, it, we'll keep trying this, and if it gets annoying, we'll change it. All right, but in 1936, this group of guys, nine Americans from the University of Washington, shocked the world by winning the 1936 Berlin Olympics and it was also known as the Nazi Olympics, as they defeated the German team rowing for Adolf Hitler. And these nine working class boys were the sons of loggers and shipyard um, workers and farmers. And they overcame enormous odds out of the depths of the Great Depression. The victory transformed the sport of rowing. And it grabbed the attention, the hearts of the nation. If you read through the book, the theme that comes across the book is their devotion to each other. Their devotion to teamwork. To be devoted means to be loyal. It means to be faithful. It means to be steadfast and constant, committed, caring, attentive, dedicated, devout, given over to something. These guys knew that it wasn't enough for the muscles of a crew to work in unison. Their hearts and their minds must also be as one. And as a matter of fact, one of my favorite quotes in the book came from George Pocock, who was the person that designed and built the shell that was used in the race. And he says, where is the spiritual value of rowing? The losing of self entirely to the cooperative effort of the crew as a whole. See, their devotion reflected very clearly who they were and what their task was about. And we will see this morning that it was a relentless devotion also that separated the first church from the rest of the world. It was their devotion of how they acted and cared for people. Acts chapter 2, verses 43 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There's something about this time of the year that kind of makes us kind of sit back and just evaluate our lives. It makes us kind of think through and assess what we've done through this year and what we want to commit to in the next year. 
It's what encourages us to write down maybe goals or, or, like I said, commitment or what we will be devoted to. But as I prepare for this, I started wondering, do we ever stop to evaluate our lives with a focus on the importance of community, the importance of the church? Here at Hope Point, we define community where brothers and sisters gather around the gospel to care for and challenge each other towards obedience in Christ. And we believe that community is the foundational context for discipleship. That's what you see in our logo, the applauding God arrow, the downward arrow is the following Christ, and the outward arrow is to live on mission. And we believe this happens best in the context of community. That's the circle around it. As we look ahead, I wonder if we've asked the question, are we asking, am I involved in community with other believers that will help me continue to believe in the faith? Am I making the most out of these relationships? Do unbelievers, those that don't know Christ in my neighborhood where we work, do those that come and maybe see us here, do unbelievers see us living together for something beyond this world? Am I devoted to the right things? I believe the six verses we just read will shape our vision of community and in the local church. And, and I think they illustrate a vivid picture of what marked the very first church, what held those believers together after Jesus let them here, left them here on earth, what inspired them to leave everything behind for his sake and what sustained them in the face of horrible opposition and persecution. You know, it's needless to say, but the church continues to have its challenges and experience those challenges in today's culture. We see endless powers trying hard to minimize and discourage the church. A recent article I read said that, according to a new survey, Religious affiliation in the U.S. has continued to fall after the pandemic. The percentage of Americans who identify as Christian today is down to 63%, down from 65% in 2019, and down from 78% in 2007. 14 years, 15%. Someone might say, well, that's nothing, except that 15% represents approximately 40 million people. Meanwhile, 29% of Americans now identify themselves as having no religion at all, which is up 26%. It's to 29% up from 26 in 2019 and up from 16% in 2007. Studies show that approximately one-third of churchgoers stopped attending after the recent pandemic. Now hear me out. Hear my heart on this church. Because my, my aim this morning is not to, to uh, there's various reasons and re there's a range of reasons and opinions to make those stats appear. And my aim today is not to inflict conflict, it's not to inflict guilt, it's not to inflict or contribute to the division already existing in the church. Instead, I want to encourage us to evaluate our lives by pointing us to what God thinks about his church it's, it's, it's to really 
Look at the word of God and see how God sees his church as the apple of his eye. The body which Christ gave his body for. And just to ask the question, can you imagine what the church could accomplish if we were devoted to loving and being the church that Christ died to create? The biblical word for church in the New Testament never refers to a building. It always refers to people, and typically people, a total number of believers who have uh, ever lived, or a local body, a local congregation of people. And let me tell you, we praise God. We praise God for all the good, Christ-exalting, gospel-preaching churches that are here in Spartanburg. It's good to know that we're not alone in this task, right? But Hope Point, hear me out. We're not responsible for their faithfulness. We're responsible for ours. And your staff and your elders are held accountable and will have to give an account for how we shepherd this flock and how we equipped you for the work of the ministry and how we strategize to spread the truth that people must know among the unbelievers of this city and to the ends of the earth. And I believe Acts chapter 2 gives us this description of community of faith for the sake of our Christian communities today. So the question that we must ask and continue to ask and answer is, what keeps us from loving and being the church? Some of you may hear that and you'll say, well, Ronnie, how much time do you have? (laughs) Because there's, there's no shortage of problems in the church. And we know that. No shortage. Uh, the, the church can sometimes be hard to love at times, and we understand that. I once heard a pastor say, there's nobody who doesn't have problems with the church because there is sin in the church. But there's no other place to be a Christian except in the church. Someone will hear that and say, wait up, Ronnie, hold on a second. Hold on a second. So what you're telling me is that I can't be a Christian unless I'm in the church. And to some extent, when people ask that, it's because people have this ideology that I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And to some extent, I see what they're saying And to some extent, there is some right in their thinking because salvation comes through grace alone, by faith alone, right? Salvation comes through faith alone and in Christ alone. But a Christian without a church is a Christian in trouble. There's no way for us to live out this Christian experience that is described, as it's described and as it's taught in the scriptures without doing it in and amongst a community of people. There's just no way. This ideology of like, I, I'm a follower of Christ, but, but I, I'm not doing this partnership thing with other like-minded believers would be completely outrageous to the first church. Absurd. They would have... Zero clue about what we're talking about. And as a matter of fact, it's only over, over the first 1,950 years, that was never a problem. This is a recent development 
in our culture. A recent, recent development that says, oh, no, 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 my religion is just between me and God. I don't, I don't need other people. I don't need other people in my life. I don't need anybody getting in my business. It's just between me and God. And I can, I can only see Paul confused in today's world saying, wait, what, what religion did you say you were? You follow? You, you said Christianity? That can't be Christianity. That must be some sort of sect or, or, or some sort of cult because Christianity is communal by its very nature. God does save us individually, but then he adopts us into a family of faith. So to be saved by grace means to be grafted into a family of faith at the same time. Thousands of sermons have been written on Acts chapter 2, verses 43 to 47. Many. You can find them out there. And, and my, my, my angle today is not to do some sort of exegesis on, on critical explanation of, of this text. I'm not trying to do that. But I want us to quickly look at what are the obstacles that keep us from loving and being the church. The first one is disillusionment. To be disillusioned is the feeling of disappointment from discovering that something is not as good as you hoped it would be. Has anybody ever experienced that? Yeah. I'm not saying in your marriages. For couples, keep your hands down. But we do have re-engaged. No, I'm just kidding. Just, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Think about a movie or maybe a restaurant that you've heard about that your friends are just I mean, they're just telling you, you got to go here. You got to watch this. You got to eat here. And you go and you're like, eh. it wasn't all that. It wasn't all that. All this hype or maybe you thought something better and you leave going, it's all right. For some people, that's where they are with the church today. They're like, I was all in and I tried it. But then I got in and said, I'm out. I'm out. It may be that someone in the church sinned against you and hurt you. And hurts like crazy. It may be that in a time where you needed people around you, you felt lonely. And isolated when you needed people the most. Maybe it's church leaders. Maybe church leaders turn out to be difficult, mean, hurtful. That does happen in the church. And, and let me just tell you, I am deeply sympathetic with that. I'm deeply sympathetic because I'm not naive and your leaders here are not naive with the fact that church leaders, including myself, may be creating some of those obstacles in the church. So let me just be honest and transparent with you. And there are times I find myself tremendously disappointed with myself as a leader. Maybe it's the fact that there's a, a leader that you followed for a while and something immoral happens and they fall and now because of that, you are disillusioned about the faith. You've put them in a, up in a pedestal that they should have never been on. 
Maybe the church just didn't meet your expectations that you had. And it stings. It hurts. And we get that. We get that. What you need today for some of you, maybe, maybe, maybe it's an apology from someone. And if you do, I I encourage you to go and seek that out. But even more than that, I I, I really think what we need is to also re-envision what the church really is and how valuable the church is to God. Because when we get disappointed and disillusioned with the church, we begin to dismiss the church. And once we become to dismiss the church, we no longer find the church valuable. And then we begin to treat the church as it's not valuable. And our disillusionment and our bitterness continues to grow in our hearts. I'm seeing in the lives of so many people, even even friends, where, where they're saying, you know what, I believe in Jesus, but I'm just not going to do this whole church thing anymore. I'm, I'm just going to follow Jesus on my own. You know what we've never seen, and you can probably see this as well. You never see that end well. You never see that end in fruit I've seen people take that step and the next step and the next step in that direction. And before you know it, they're saying, you know what, Ronnie, I just don't know what I think about this Christianity thing anymore. That's typically the progression without community. We need to grow in love with church again by focusing on the potential that the church has in according in accordance to the scriptures, not to our experience, the scriptures. And we must acknowledge that if we truly love God, we have to love what he loves. And let me tell you, he loves the church. He loves the church with all its mess. He sees it all. And he still says, I love this church. One of the ways we see that is through the metaphors that the scriptures use to describe the church. And there are several of them, but I just want to hit you up with four. Real quick, just four. The first is, this is what we're called, what the church is called in the scripture. The people of God. 2 Corinthians 6.16, quoting Leviticus 26.12 and Exodus 29.45. And then clearly expanded in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10, when he says, Once you were not my people, but now you are the people of God. Why is this so significant? Well, it shows us that God is not afraid to be associated with the church. We are. We look at the church and we say, that's not really my people. I mean, I go there occasionally, but they're not really my people. And God looks at the church and says, my people. Look at my people. I love my people. My people. Covered by the blood of my son. Made righteous in my sight. Will spend eternity with me. Because I love them. They're my people. The second metaphor is. The church is called the body of Christ. What a powerful metaphor. For all the ways that God could have described the church. He describes it. 
as the body of Christ. And we see this in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, Colossians 1, 18 and 24, in Ephesians 5, 23. And he shows us that God identifies fully with the church, fully with the church. He doesn't say you can have me and the church is optional. He says, no, 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 no. It's me and the church. We're one. We're one. This is how I manifest the church. In Acts chapter 9, we see a young, arrogant Paul, at that point Saul, right? And he's on his way to Damascus. And what is he doing? Persecuting Christians, right? So he's on his way to Damascus, and Jesus appears to him and says in Acts chapter Acts 9, verse 4, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And again, who was Saul persecuting? The church. But why does Jesus take it so personally? Because the church is his body. He never chooses to separate himself from the church, from the bodies of believers. We do. Third metaphor of what is the church is, according to scriptures, we're the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ looking her best, dressed up and glowing beautifully. I mean, can you imagine? This is before sweatpants and, you know, messy buns and baby throw-up stains and all that stuff. It's the bride, and God looks at his bride and says, Look at her. Look at my bride. I remember when the day, August 16, 2003, 2003, re-engage, all right, 2003, and I remember standing at the front of the church, and I see Liz coming out from the back, and I was like, oh, man, look at her. She's so awesome. She was glowing. She looked perfect without blemish. And that's what God says about the church. That's what God says about the church. We're promised in Revelations chapter 19, verse 7 through 8, that there will be a great wedding ceremony, ceremony, and we are the bride. We're the bride. We're going to be presented, and Christ is going to look at us and say, there she comes. There's my bride. Look at her. The bride of Christ. The last metaphor. The temple of the Holy Spirit. You hear that the church is not a building, and that's true, but we, we are a spiritual building in the sense of a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit that lives in us. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 through 17 says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in your midst? For God's temple is sacred, and you together are the temple. You know what this tells us? This tells us that God is not afraid to inhabit the church. He goes all in, and he says, I will be with them. I will empower them. They're mine, and I'm happy to be with them. Because they're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Some people hear that, and they say, you know what, Ronnie, that's fine. But that's more of the universal church. If that's you today, I'm so glad you thought that way. Let me give you some scripture, maybe to challenge that a little bit. Let's look at Acts chapter 20, verse 28, because here we find Paul 
at this point saying goodbye. He's come to faith in Christ. He's had this big conversion. And here he is now saying goodbye to a delegation of elders from a local church in Ephesus. And so he wants to give them some advice on how to lead and be good elders in a local congregation. He's not expecting them to be leaders of the global universal church. A local church, a messy local church. And look what he says. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. I love that. The Holy Spirit cares so deeply about the church that the Holy Spirit appoints leaders for the church. To do what? To care for the church. And to be fair, sometimes we leaders fail at that. We do. Leaders are supposed to be there to care for. We get so focused sometimes on the task that we forget to be in the present with the people. But look at Acts 20, 28 again. He says, keep watch over yourself and all the flock for which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. The local church in Ephesus was bought by the blood of Jesus. Whole Point Church in Spartanburg was bought by the blood of Jesus. His blood, precious to him, just often not precious to us. So let's take a look at the next obstacle. We said the first one was disillusionment. The second one is distraction. Distraction. So we hear distraction and we live in a crazy, busy world. And you may hear this and be saying, hey, bro, look, I just want to let you know, man, I'm just really busy. I, I mean, I got a hectic life. I got so much going on. And look, man, I, I just, there's too much for me right now. My, I have limited capacity and I know I should be paying more attention to be more involved in the church, but right now, it's just hard for me to do so. And you're juggling all these things, and church is one of those things that you like, but just one of the many things you're juggling, right? And your hope is church is one of those things that maybe can bounce back for some people. Maybe it's one of those things that can bounce back. Like, I can't let my work fall. I can't drop, you know, work. I mean, that, that's not good. I, so I, I cannot drop. CrossFit. I mean, I cannot drop working out because, you know, it's CrossFit or whatever it may be. I cannot working out or whatever that hobby or whatever, whatever, whatever that thing is that is so important. But the church, the church, I can come back for the church. When things get normal, I can come back and the church is going to be all right. It'll recover, right? My kids travel team. Woo. Man. They're just gone all the time, every weekend, and we just can't. Have you seen how expensive college is? Yeah. And we got to make sure they get a scholarship. And you've heard this. We get so busy with our schedules that our calendars at home end up looking like this. And for some of you, you saw that, and you're all stressed out because you just remember something you forgot to add to that calendar. But then we walk around or drive around looking like this. I mean, I recently heard a pastor say that one of the main problems with this is how church leaders contribute to this mentality and culture. I mean, with great intentions and, and without even knowing it, we sometimes plan with a mentality of how do we accommodate to make church less disruptive? 
And what we're doing is basically just lowering the bar and making it okay for people not to be committed to the church in the hope that maybe they'll stay. Read this quote recently. The problem isn't that church is too disruptive. The problem is that our gospel isn't disruptive enough to our suburban lives to totally reorient our lives around Christ and his people first. Look again in Acts chapter 2 and keep something in mind. This was a church that had multiplied in one day 26 times from 120 people to over 3,000 people. In one day, they had no staff, no budget. They had no assimilation process, no discover class, no membership class. You would think it was chaotic during that time, right? But look how they responded. They devoted themselves. Not they accommodated. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and breaking of bread and to prayer. And look, every day, every day, Day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts, and they broke bread and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Now, let me tell you, that right there, my friends, is disruptive. That's disruptive. Why? Because they were devoted. Devoted. You know why they were devoted? They were devoted because they were in complete awe of the phenomenon used that, hey, God loves you and sent his son, Jesus, to come and die for you. And he rose again from the dead and you can spend eternity with him. But in the meanwhile, you can partner in building his kingdom. And people were like, I'm in. I'm all in. Sign me up. I'm in. Hear my heart, church. I'm guilty of that calendar. My calendar doesn't always reflect that I am stunned by the gospel of Jesus Christ. just want to be honest with you. But the answer for us is to be devoted to the right thing, to be stunned by the message of the gospel and to center our lives around it. Around it. Third, disconnected. Obstacle of being disconnected. So often we hear people come and leave our gatherings and say that they had a hard time connecting with people. And we understand that. And let me tell you, that happens everywhere. And we're, we're doing the best we can to, to fix that and, and change the culture of that so that when people come in, they do feel welcome, they do feel cared for, and they do feel like this is a place that they can belong to. So we, we understand that that is a problem in the church. And it hurts. We're working at it. But the key again in... Acts chapter 2, it was, nobody stood off on the sidelines and said, let me see how this goes. Let me see how they love me. No. They pushed deeper into community, not withdraw from it. The church of Acts said they devoted themselves. They, they devoted themselves to fellowship, community. They dove in head first. Head first. In the book of Hebrews, we see that the writer writes to Hebrew, uh, to, the, uh, to the people there in crisis. So there's people in crisis in the book of Hebrews, and he writes to encourage them. He writes to help them to endure and persevere. They were tempted in that moment to drift away back into individual isolation, away from the community of faith. And look what the Hebrew writer says. Let us hold fast. 
Let us hold fast. Don't give up, church. If people shrink back, you stand. Hold fast. Be devoted to each other. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And how are you going to do this? Let us consider how we stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. What a beautiful and powerful picture of community. Because what this tells us is, hey, if you're going to hold fast and persevere, what do you need? Other people. Other people. And you're going to have to meet regularly with them. And you're going to have to encourage them. And they're going to have to encourage you. And they will need to stir up, stir you up. That's a great metaphor. Because here we are, and, and maybe we, we have all this stuff lying dormant, and, and, and they'll stir you up, all these things and, and all, this, all these gifts that the Holy Spirit has given us. And then we, we meet with them, and they stir us up, and we leave there going, oh, praise God, I needed that. I needed that. I needed that. So church, let me just give you some simple ways if right now you feel disconnected here at Hope Point. Just some simple ways for you to take with you and then... I'll end it. You heard Melanie talking about Discover. Our Discover classes are class that kind of lets you know who we are, what we're passionate about. That's coming up on January the 16th at 9 a.m. Okay? You can text Discover as you heard Melanie say. Discover, there's, there's, um, uh, there's Discover, there's Launch, and there's Thrive. There's three classes. But that's your next step. If you have not gone through those classes, I encourage you, sign up. Go online, sign up for Discover, and from Discover, once you attend, you can sign up for the next one. But I encourage you, take that next step and get connected. You heard about re-engage. Re-engage is not for the marriages that are just hurting. It's not a counseling thing. It's a time of 15 weeks where husband and wives gather around each other and focus on the discipleship of marriage. Because what we're seeing is too many people are so busy, maybe even doing ministry and work, while they get home and their marriages are falling apart. And we just believe that, guess what? Discipleship begins in the home, and it should overflow into how we parent, and it should overflow into who we are as followers of Christ in our community and to the ends of the earth. But we have to focus on the discipleship of the marriage. So whether your marriage is hurting or whether your marriage is fine, you just know that there's room for better, and you want to take a next step in improving. And let me tell you, we all have room for improvement in our marriage. We all do. Reengage launches Wednesday, the 19th of January. Community group. If you're not in a community group, we encourage you, get involved in a community group. If you just finished a Thrive class, you will be um, communicated with this week with your community group assignment. But if you're not in a community group, this is the centralized strategy for our discipleship. We're saying get plugged in. If you're not serving, just go to the Welcome Center. And, and let somebody know, hey, I just want to get plugged in. I want to get connected. Let me do my part. Jump in and devote yourself. Let's not sit back and say the church doesn't meet my needs. Let's devote ourselves, guys. So the last one, we said disillusionment, distraction, disconnect. And the last one is discouragement. Listen, some of you may be here, and I'll land this plane. And you say, I, I, I don't necessarily have a problem with the church, Ronnie. I'm, Church is not a problem to me. It, 
It's just, it is what it is. I can either take it or leave it. You know what we need? We need a picture of courage. We need a picture of what is actually promised to the church. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 through 19. Here, he's talking to Peter, who in my opinion, in my opinion, he was the one that started the hand, foot, and mouth disease. All right? Because every time he opened his mouth, it was an exchange for his foot or his hand. That's Peter. But here, Matthew 16, he says one of the most profound proclamation in history, and he says this. Jesus is speaking. He says, what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by the Father in heaven. And I tell you on that, Peter, and on this rock, I will build a bunch of individuals who will love me in the privacy of their homes forever. No, that's not what it says. It says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. The gates of hell will not prevail. Hey, we can look around and the world may seem like, you know, all hell's breaking loose. It may seem that way. Like, where's the Christian? Where's the voice of the Christian? It may, listen, it may seem that way. But the reality is the scriptures give us a different view of that. The scriptures give us an imagery of, of the word saying that, that hell just got some rinky-dinky gates. And they're just hoping that the church does not wake up. That the church does not wake up. You have a bunch of demons who are holding the gates together and they're saying, hey guys, get, check this out. Hey, guys, if the church wakes up, we're doomed. We're doomed. Because the, the, the gates of hell cannot hold up the church. Look at the promise. Look at the promise. Again, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I love that because look at the dignity and the authority given to the church as if faith proclaims the gospel. It's just not a bunch of weak people. They're not just weak nobodies. No, these are people that Jesus has breathed life and power into. And Ephesians 3.10 reminds us that so that through the church, the manifold of wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places. I can imagine God sitting on his throne looking at us and saying, look at my manifold wisdom, the church, the church. Maybe... Maybe our problem is that we have the wrong vision. Maybe our vision of the church is maybe too small. I read this quote from Tony Evans. It says, far too often, we have limited the definition of the church. While not in all cases, in many cases, church has become an informational, inspirational weekly gathering rather than the group of people that God has ordained from heaven to operate on his behalf on earth in order to bring heaven's viewpoint into history. I want to be a part of that.
I want to be a part of that. You were here last Wednesday. Richard left or ended both services by saying a quote from The Chosen, the series The Chosen. I don't know if you remember the quote, the phrase, but the phrase came from the scene where the shepherd comes up to Mary and Mary's holding Jesus in her arms and the shepherd says, people must know. People must know. I love that. I love that because that is why we gather every week so that our worship, our teaching, our stirring of the Holy Spirit may cause us to leave here saying people must know. People must know that we worship Jesus Christ. Let that sink in because in some places in the world, that'll get you killed. People must know that we not only admire him, we don't only follow him, we're not swearing some allegiance to him. No, we worship Jesus. And people must know. They must know that he is the savior of the world. That he and he alone can save men and women out of their sin and into his family. That is the devotion of the church. So church, if you're here today, and you're disillusioned, I understand. Be devoted in grace. If you're distracted, be stunned by the message of the gospel and be devoted to center your life around it. If you're disconnected, be devoted by jumping into community. And if you're discouraged, get a right picture of what the church actually is and be devoted to what it's doing. Just think about it. Look at all of us in here. Look at the potential in here. If every single one of us supernaturally was empowered by the Holy Spirit with the right gifts given to him, to the church, so that we can kick the gates of hell in Sparnbrook to the ends of the earth, who wouldn't want to be a part of that? And as we start the new year, and we evaluate what's our devotion to. What are we devoted to? Because according to the scripture, that's what we're supposed to be about. Let us pray. Father, we confess to you, God, that we have distractions, that we at times are disillusioned, that at times we don't initiate and we get disconnected. That social media and everything in the news may be discouraging us, but Father, you died for the church. And you remind us in your scripture that the gates of hell will not prevail. That on the rock, that you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. On that truth, on that rock, you will build your church. Father, we want to be a part of that. So as we start a new year, help us, Father. Would you search our hearts? Would you open our eyes? Would you show us where our devotion is? 
for those here that, and there's so many, are so devoted, Father. We're grateful, God. We give you praise for them. This church exists because of your grace and your leading and their obedience to this devotion out of love, out of joy. It is the Holy Spirit stirring, and we're thankful for those. But for those that are on the sideline, God, I pray, help them to dive in, to jump in, to be fully devoted and be a part of something that only you can get the glory for. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. We pray this in your powerful name, your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.